Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. I am so excited to jump into uh, our second week of our series that we're calling Crazy Makers. Did you guys enjoy last week? A little bit? You guys enjoyed last week? Awesome. Uh, who here uh, had one person in their mind the entire experience yesterday? And you're like, this is for them. I am learning how to deal with difficult people, and this is for them. Uh, I'm, I'm just really excited about this series, especially as we approach Thanksgiving, um, because we have crazy families at Thanksgiving, and we really need to know how to deal with them in a healthy way. And... Um, and it's going to be really good. I think we're all getting equipped to do this together. Um, in this series, we're learning how to deal with crazy makers in our lives and have peace in our relationships. And our series verse comes out of Luke chapter 6 and verse 32. And Jesus says this. He says, if you, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And what he's saying is it's easy to love the people that love you, but it's a little bit more difficult. But this is what Jesus is calling us to, to love the people that we don't agree with, to love the people that we have conflict with, to love the people that look different than us, that smell different than us. We're supposed to love those people because it's easy to love the people that are just like me. And so the title of today's message, if you are taking notes, everybody should have a, a little uh, message notes that you guys can, can take this down. The title of today's message is Confronting Conflict. Confronting Conflict. And as I was studying for this uh, message this week, I came across this story. Um, I just wanted to, to tell it to you. So uh, this church got a new pastor, and um, the worship leader that was at this church immediately disliked this new pastor. He didn't want anything to do with him. And so eventually their conflict started spilling over into Sunday mornings. In the first week, this pastor preached about commitment, and he preached about how we should dedicate our lives to serving one another. And this worship leader, at the end of, of the message, he led a song, I shall not be moved. <laughs> then the second week, the pastor preached about tithing, how important it is uh, for the congregation to honor God and contribute to the church. And the worship leader sang the song, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> and then the third week, this pastor preached about gossip and he, how we should all watch what we say to one another. The worship leader led the song, I love to tell the story. And at this point, the pastor, he, he kind of caught on. You know, he kind of, ha- he, he saw what was happening. He was embarrassed over how the worship leader's feud with him was disrupting their services. And so he told the congregation next week that he was going to be resigned, that he was thinking about resigning. And the worship leader led the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? And then sure enough, the pastor, he did resign. And in his farewell message to the church, um, he told the congregation that as Jesus had called him to the church, Jesus was now calling him away from the church. And the worship leader led the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. <laughs> See, we all have conflict. We all have conflict in our, in our lives. And without a doubt, the number one thing that pastors do across the nation is help people through conflict. In one way or another, it's the number one killer of every single relationship. And, and in my counseling classes they, that, I was, that I took, they, they teach you that um, 
the one thing that counselors are supposed to do is to help people manage change in one way or another. And change can often be, um, it, can, it can look like conflict. In fact, if you look at the studies of like the, the change curve of how, you know, you go through the, the denial and the acceptance and the, you know, the, all that, it actually mirrors the, the curve of, of, of grief, how we manage and deal with grief. And so a lot of times these changes, they can look like conflict. And my, my life, not yet, but, I, you know, this church is amazing. There's very little conflict in here. But what I have to manage a lot of times is as we change, because we're a very new, um, very new church plant, and so we're kind of light on our feet. We're kind of lean right now, and we're able to pivot where we need to make changes. We're able to pivot quick, and we're able to push that out to our teams. But what, we, what I have to manage is this conflict of, okay, we're changing this. How am I managing um, all of our, our crew members? Um, while we're talking about them, can we, can we give it up? Let me tell you about the crew first. So the crew are the people that have dedicated their Sundays. And what they do is they don't come in here to, to sit down and, and listen to the message. They've dedicated their Sundays to be serving you and to be serving your children. And so right now we have crew members that are in the nursery and the preschool area and in the elementary area that are serving our kids. And they're making sure that they're not up in here in your hair, but they're giving Jesus on their level. Guys, can we give it up one time for all the people that serve on on Sunday mornings, can we get, give it up for the crew? They're amazing people, and so with them, I have to sometimes manage. Okay, hey, we're we're making a we're making an audible here. We're calling an audible. We're doing something different. Have to manage change, but the number one killer of all of our relationships is this interpersonal conflict that we have to deal with. And and guys, I, I promise you, if you've not dealt with conflict this year with anyone. Um, over Thanksgiving, you're going to find it. It's going to find you. It's going to find you. You're going to deal with, your, <laughs> with conflict with your crazy uncle. Um, he's going to have a little too much to drink. You, we know it's true. He's going to have a little too much to drink. He's going to come to the table, and he's going to start talking about the vaccine. <laughs> no, don't do it. It's a trap. But conflicts are everywhere. They're at work. You have conflicts with your spouse. You have conflicts with your kids, with your community. Because we live in a broken world. And there's conflict everywhere. There's conflict in every area. There's conflict in every segment of our society from the highest level down. And if you don't believe that, just turn on the news for just about five minutes. And I'm sure you'll hear about five different things that are going on in the world. But one of the most important skills that you can develop as a person, and really especially as a Christian, is how to resolve conflict. Conflict resolution, and, and today, so we're going to discuss three biblical principles to how do we resolve conflict, because if we're going to face it, we need to know how to handle it. If you practice these skills in your life, you're going to find that your stress goes down dramatically, and your relationship with God will grow exponentially once you learn how to deal with this conflict. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What's God saying here? We don't want conflict. We don't want arguments. But sometimes it happens. If, it, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, conflict happens in our lives and we have to know how to deal with it. Why does God wanna, want us to live at peace with, with everyone? Because 
Unresolved conflict has three devastating reactions in your life. And you can write this down. A, it hinders your relationship with God. Conflict will hinder our relationship with God. And this is a very strong verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's a strong, that's a strong statement from the writer here. That there's, you can't love God if you're, if you're hating your neighbor. And the question was asked one time, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus went the, through this whole long parable, this whole long story, to tell us that your neighbor is everyone that you interact with on a daily basis. That's your neighbor. And the Bible says, how can we, how can we say we love God when we're holding something against someone else? There's this word that's kind of a churchy word, I think. I didn't really hear much about it until I... I came into church, but there is a word called unforgiveness. And, and it's just like it sounds. It's you're holding on to the faults that people have. You're holding on to the issues that people have, the conflict that you have with people, this unforgiveness. And I heard it said one time that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. But it's poisoning you. When you're holding on to it, guys, I promise you most of the conflict that you have in your life right now, you're thinking about it 90% of your day, you'll be, the, the other person probably, they'll be lucky if they think about it once. It's probably off their radar. They don't really care as much as you do. But holding on to that, it's like if you were to drink the poison and expect them to die, there's, this, uh, there, there's these people, when we talk about it hindering our relationship with God, you know, there's a whole group of people out there that say this, man, I love God, but I hate the church. Raise your hand, you ever heard that before you ever encountered anybody that said that, is it just me? I love God, but I hate the church. That's the viewpoint of so many different people. And I want to challenge that, because I promise you, uh, the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And I promise you that if you were to walk up to me and tell me, man, I love you, but I hate your wife. You can't say you're loving me. We're probably not going to have a relationship anymore after that. It's the same thing. Now, I'll admit, imperfect people fill up the churches in America. They also fill up the churches in China, in Australia. They fill up the churches in every continent across the world except Antarctica. I don't think there's any churches there. But you can't love God and say that you hate the people that he's called to be his bride. So we just got to let it go, right? I understand there's issues and there's faults and there's flaws within the church today, but you can't look at it from the perspective of, I hate them, so I'm not going to be engaged with the church you're going to stop being engaged with Jesus because a, a person hurt you. Anyway, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen can't love God whom they haven't seen. It hinders our relationship with God. B, it hinders our prayers. This is a terror. 
you know what? Until I discovered this verse, a lot of times my prayers weren't getting answered, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I read this for the first time, and it all made sense because I was holding way too much against way too many people. And God won't even answer your prayers. Matthew chapter 5, um, verse 23 and 24 says this, Therefore, and this is how important this conflict resolution is to God. It's very, very important, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and as you're offering your gift there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, first go, be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. See, it's so important for us to be in unity with other people. It's so important for us to not have conflict with other people that God says, if you didn't know this, the altar was a place that people would come and they would offer their sacrifices to Jesus. They would offer um, their, you know, back in the day they used to sacrifice animals and stuff like that, and they would, they would leave the, the animal on the altar and it'd pay for their sin. And Jesus is saying here that it's so important for, to him for us to have resolved conflict with our neighbors that he'll even halt our worship to him. Don't worship me if you've got something going on with someone else. He wants us to stop our sacrifice. He wants us to stop our worship so that we can go repair that relationship and then come back. That's how important it is for Jesus. Because God, God, like, the number one thing that God desires from us is our worship, our love, our adoration, our honor. He says, "Don't don't even give that. If you've got something against someone else, or if someone else has something against you, go try to repair it. Try to fix it. It's not going to work every time, but at least you tried. And then uh, C here, letter C. Not only does it hinder our relationship with God, it hinders our prayers. It hinders our happiness. Unresolved conflict. It hinders our happiness. Because as you're holding on to this conflict, it's renting space in your head that it's not paying for. There's people right now that are floating around in your brain that they didn't pay a dollar to live there. And like I said, they're probably not even caring. They don't even care. The people that you're holding stuff against, they, they're not even thinking about it. You can't be happy and in conflict at the same time. These two things are mutually exclusive. You can either be happy or you can be in conflict. And we have the daily choice to choose. So we've seen now what the disease can do, this unresolved conflict in our lives, what, it, what that can do to us. Let's, let's just shift and let's just talk about the cure, the cure to this as, as we look at some uh, three biblical steps to resolving conflict. Three biblical steps to resolving conflict. Number one... This is really important. We go first. We go first. We have to take the initiative. Because if you wait, I can guarantee you they're not going to be the ones. If everyone's always waiting on the other person. But you have to, and, and excuse me for this cliche, you have to be the bigger person. You've got to be the one that goes first, even if it wasn't your fault. 
Guys, so many married couples are terrible at this. Whenever I counsel a married couple, one of the first things that I say, you have to be able to forgive quickly. Don't go to bed mad. So there's sometimes... <laughs> you don't go to bed mad. Don't go to bed with unresolved conflicts. So when I, when I first got married, uh, there were a lot of late nights, <laughs> you know, because we wouldn't sleep. We had to figure this out. We had to do it. They'll get in a, we'll get in a fight. You'll, you'll sulk around. You know, nobody will actually have said anything. And then both of you kind of avoid any admission that you're wrong, right? You're like, nope, not my fault. And then <laughs> what happens is you, if you wait long enough, you'll quote, unquote, forget that it happened, right? Like, oh, we're good now. Somebody makes a joke or, or you find something like on TV that you like watching. Well, you've, you've forgotten the conflict ever happened. And then the next day it comes back. Over and over and over you just repeat the same cycle because no one is apologizing. Because no one is saying sorry. You are bound to keep living in this unhealthy cycle of conflict with your spouse, or with your best friend, with your work, co-workers, your, your boss. There has to be an apology to stop this cycle of conflict. Here's what I've learned. Conflict is never resolved accidentally. No, it just, it just never goes away. You want it to go away, but it doesn't go away. It's kind of like the, the glitter, like you, you get glitter somewhere. And without you intentionally scrubbing that thing, glitter just never just disappears. Conflict is never resolved accidentally. And, and I like to sometimes say it like this. Like our default state as humanity is conflict. It's, it's chaos, right? And it's, it's kind of like um, an extension cord. When you lay an extension cord out, you put it away... You never come back to find that this extension cord has magically straightened itself out. But every single stinking time, you do everything you can do. You wind that thing just right. You're ready. You put it in that box. You come back the next day. What happens? Somehow it has tangled throughout the night. Because the default setting of a cord is to tangle. That, that cord never accidentally untangles itself. Conflict never accidentally re it resolves. In my house, I have to have learned, I've learned to become a professional repenter. That just means that I get to go to my wife over and over and over and say, I did it again. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have acted like that. I shouldn't have snapped at you. Yeah. Yeah, I snap at my wife sometimes. It's crazy. I'm human. You guys do it too? Don't look at me with your righteous stares like you've never snapped at your wife before. I've become a professional repenter. Why? Because men, you are the spiritual leader of your house. And leaders are always the first to apologize. Even if it's not your fault. You guys heard this expression, time heals everything. Time heals everything, but that's absolutely not true. Time does not heal everything. If you get enough time, you might forget about it, but you're not healed. 
And in fact, that would be, how crazy would it be if you went to the doctor because you had a huge gash on your arm, and the doctor said, if you wait just a few months, don't worry about covering it up. You wait a few months, it'll, it'll fix itself. It'll work itself out. No, that's crazy. Why? Because infection will set in. If it's not treated properly, infection sets in. Time doesn't heal anything. Time just gives time for infection to sit. It'll be much worse the longer that you let it sit and wait. So many people will avoid dealing with conflict because they're scared of facing it. I mean, this is my life too. There's a lot of conversations that, that I should have had that I haven't had because I was scared of dealing with it. I was scared of facing that conflict head on. This fear of conflict is as old as Adam and Eve, the very first two people that were born, that were created. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, Adam says to God, chapter 3 verse 10, Adam says to God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He talks about this word naked and it means I was exposed I was vulnerable. I had nothing shielding me. And he doesn't want to face it, so he hides from it, just like many of us do today. Or um, he also, if we go on to chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, this is really funny to me. (laughs) It's like, if you read the Bible close enough, you'll find some really funny stories. And this is, to me, this is really funny. And I'll tell you why in a second. Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. And he said... Talking about God. Who told you that you were naked? Because I didn't tell you that. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? And the man said, (laughs) God said, have you eaten from the tree? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord turns to the woman and said, what is it you've done? She said, the serpent deceived me. Because when we're confronted, the thing that we like to do is pass the buck and play the blame game. Hey, did you eat that? No, it was a woman. And then even the woman's like, it was a serpent. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. Where do you find this courage to take this step of confronting this? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit that God has given us is one that's filled with love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love drives out fear. When your love is greater than your fear, you'll do things that you're afraid to do. When I love that person on the other side of the table more than I fear the results of this confrontation... I'm going to do the things that I'm scared to do. I'm going to have the conversations that I'm scared to have because my love has overcome my fear. We all have our own part. That's this biblical thing called humility. Jesus deals with this in Matthew 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't take the notice of the big piece of wood in your eye? First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your friend's eye. See, that's humility. That's saying, see your part first. Are you having a problem seeing your part? Am I being unrealistic or 
Am I being ungrateful in this relationship? Maybe I'm being too insensitive. Am I being oversensitive? Maybe in this relationship I'm being too demanding. You got to see your part first. Let me give you a sentence that's going to, that'll, that'll break any relational conflict. This is the magic sentence, guys. This is what's going to shape and change your life from here on out. Will you forgive me? I was only thinking of myself. Guys, it will demolish every single conflict that you have in your life. You're like, but I didn't do anything wrong. Is it important enough for you to risk the apology even though you didn't do anything wrong? Chances are you did, though. That, the magic sentence, will you forgive me? Because I was just thinking of myself. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, all of you... Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another because God resists resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you, the opposite of humility is pride. And if you find yourself, see what pride says is, I'm not apologizing, I didn't do anything. When you find yourself saying that, you're in a tough spot because the Bible says that God resists that person But the person that's humble, he gives grace to them. So who have you been thinking about for the past 10 minutes? Everybody's got that person. Everybody's got that one person that's floating around in your head. Picture that person. Picture that relationship, that source of conflict in your life. Now, commit to make the step. Commit to go first. Commit to take the initiative to fix it. And then after you do that, here's the next thing you do. Number two, focus on the fix, not the fault. Focus on the fix, not the fault. You only have a certain amount of emotional energy. And in a conversation, you can either use that energy to fix the blame, or you can use that energy to fix the problem. You don't have enough energy to do both. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now, you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Get rid of them. See, what the writer is saying there is, there are some things that are off limits when you're trying to resolve conflict, when you're trying to fix the problem rather than fix the blame. There's some words of mass destruction that you've got to steer clear from. Because when we're, when we're angry, we have the tendency to say things that we don't mean that are going to last a lot longer than we want them to last. You don't get to take them back. Uh, my wife Cassie and I, we were uh, children's pastors for a couple years back in 2015, 2016. And one of the things that we did was um, we took the kids and we showed them the power of your words. And we took an a, a aerosol of... Um, shaving cream and we said spray this out we, we tarped the floor with plastic so they got to have some fun I said spray every bit of this out and they were just getting everybody they were getting us they are getting the floor they are getting everything they sprayed all of it out and I pulled $100 out of my pocket and I said I will give $100 to the person that can now put it back in they tried <laughs> God they tried you'll do, you'll do a lot for $100 right? I'll try but nobody was successful. 
Why? Because once it's out, it's out there. You're not getting it back. It's the same thing with your words. Once you put your words out there, it's out there. You can't get it back. Students, once you make that post, it's out there. Once you send that text message, once you send that picture, guys, you can't get it back. It's out there. There's these words that are off limits, these words of mass destruction, and, and this isn't, it's not limited to these, but here's some examples of that. Let's talk about a, a, a relationship here, a, a marriage. I hate you. I want a divorce. I'll tell on myself here, I've said this before, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. These are words you can't get back. You don't mean it. <laughs> like every time, I promise. When I, say I'm le- when I said, I'm leaving, I didn't even walk out the door. You know what I was trying to do? I was trying to make her feel bad. It didn't work. I mean, I, it did work, but it didn't work for what I wanted it to. See, once I put it out there, it's not coming back. Like, I don't get to take those words back. She remembers it now forever. You can't say these words of mass destruction and hope that eventually, if you ignore it long enough, it's just going to forget it. It's just in the heat of the moment. They'll forget about it. I'm, I'm passionate. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. I'm passionate about our relationship. There's words that you can't say. The divorce word has never been uttered in my house because we made, when we, when we, when we made that commitment, we actively said to each other, divorce word is off the table we're not even giving thought to it that d word is probably the worst cuss word that you could utter in our house and marriages i i would i would challenge you guys to do the same you're like it's too late start now change it relationships like quit finding fault with with your friends and just quit calling them stupid Anytime that you call names, it's off limits. It's a word of mass destruction. There's a difference between judgment and correction. See, the Bible, the Bible calls us to correct an issue. But the problem is judgment, when, we, when we're judging, judgment assumes that we see the heart clearly. When in fact you don't. I, I don't see clearly. I'm judging, but correction deals with the things that you can see. See, there's behaviors sometimes in your relationships that you got to let your friends know. Dude, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. That's okay. That's completely fine. But when you approach it from the fact of, dude, you're, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> because every time you do this, nope, now we're judging the motives of the heart. And we can't go that far. And then finally, number three... You've got to value the relationship over resolution. Value relationship over resolution. There's a big difference here. See, there's this word that's, that it, it's reconciliation. And what reconciliation means, it means to reestablish this relationship. We're always supposed to try to reconcile our conflicts, reconcile our 
broken relationships. But resolution means resolving every issue, fixing every problem. And you're never going to do that. Can you have a loving relationship without agreeing on everything? Absolutely you can. Of course you can. Of course you can. Can you learn to disagree without being disagreeable? Of course you can. We learned last week that that's called wisdom. I don't have to agree with my friends about everything. In fact, if we were to get in a room, my friends would probably be a little shocked about all the things I disagree with them about. Why? Because we don't air it out. We don't bring it to the table every time that I have a a differentiating opinion than you. Because I'm going to value the relationship over the resolution. It's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. Every time, relationship matters more. You're like, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the the ways that they've treated me. Here's a question I want to ask each of us today. Do you want to make a point or do you want to make it right? Because you can't do both. Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.